Amen. Amen. And amen. I don't know really what the whole meaning of it is, but Caleb handed me this gavel before. Must have been something to do with what I was sharing with last week. So if I hit the gavel, you'll know. Amen. It's established and finished. Amen. We're continuing tonight in our study, uh, expository study through the uh, epistle to the Galatians. So if you have your Bibles tonight, turn into Galatians chapter 1. Anybody come hungry tonight? You, you know, some things in the scripture, you know, you just get there and it's just like, man, you could just sit there and graze all day long. Well, what we're going to be talking about tonight in these verses in, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it's one of those grazing times for me. I, I guess because when you, there, there's certain things that just kind of hits you personally in the gut, just really uh, revelation, uh, Obviously, through the through the word, and we've talked about just kind of the historical context of this, but on a personal level as well. And 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 when I read Galatians, this is one of those those couple of verses that caused me to just take pause and just say, mm, 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 God, aren't you so good? And you begin to see just the the, the nature of His grace and His mercy. Uh, anybody ever felt hopeless in your life? Primarily before you came to Christ, you you remember those days where there just didn't seem any value in you, and, and then He showed up on the scene. You know, that's the good news about Jesus is he brings hope to the hopeless. Anybody ever felt like you were a disappointment to God? Then you got saved and you realize that disappointment's an unmet expectation. And because he's the author, the finisher of your, your faith, man, there's just a trust level that comes into your life because of Jesus. And so these verses we're going to be looking at tonight are, are kind of those verses in, in my heart and life. You know, last week we kind of examined uh, what we talked about, and I guess the gather week, as, as Caleb would put it, uh, the necessity of Paul the Apostle's message being that of revelation or the unveiling of the new covenant in his blood, really by a direct word of the Holy Spirit uh, himself. And so this wasn't uh, some revelation or some information that came from another source. Paul the Apostle was saying, listen, this was an unveiling. This was God exposing himself to me, showing me something that took the Holy Spirit to reveal to me. And folks, really, for every single one of us, we look at what Paul got and we think, man, that must have been amazing. Folks, every one of us, to a certain degree, have had that moment. We, we really have. We've had that moment, maybe not to, to the point of pinning the, the new covenant in his blood and having that, that part of the responsibility. But we've had that experience in that moment of becoming the product of the new covenant in his blood. Why do I say that? Because, listen, folks, listen, we didn't come and, and, and lay out all of these options on the table one day and, and, and look and say, okay, well, here's Hinduism, here's Taoism, here's Mormonism, here's Jehovah Witness, here's Catholicism, here's all these things, or, or whatever genre I may take. We didn't lay those things out on the table and say, listen, that offers me something better than this thing. And, and you know what, God? You know what? You won the lottery. That didn't happen. He, he chose us. He drew us by his presence. And no one can call Christ Lord except the Spirit of God draw them. Until you come and you have that off flash, until God gives you that experience and he opens your eyes in a new way. Folks, listen, before, we, before grace came upon the scene, before we had that opportunity, listen, the only thing that we could do was choose evil. We didn't have that choice. We gave that choice up at the fall of man. When God created man in his own image, he created them with those characteristics that, that he inhabited. And one of those characteristics was the, the ability of self-determination. We call it free will. But as soon as man fell, all of those characteristics that were associated with God fell with him. And so then upon that instance of sin in our heart was no good thing. There was nothing good. There was nothing salvageable. All we could do was choose evil. But all of a sudden, something happened 2,000 years ago 
when that man from Galilee came and he hung upon that cross between two thieves and he poured out his grace and his mercy and he provided a way of escape for us and grace was visited in a brand new way. The Holy Spirit of promise came and he began to draw me into himself. And so it wasn't us saying, God, listen, you you provided a better deal and you provided a better option. It was the all flash of God's grace where sin abounded and it abounded greatly. His grace did much more abound. There was a drawing effect of God. And we, at that point, now once again, had the ability to choose. That's why Jesus tells us that this is the day of salvation. It is visited upon every single one of us at that point. And so just as Paul had that experience, that revelation, we get that experience of Jesus as well. And so our life, he says, listen, you are a living epistle. Yes, this is an epistle. This is Galatians. is is obviously we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's our epistle because it deals with us. But listen, we are those epistles. He said, I have inscribed you even upon the palms of my hand. Doesn't that excite you? Man, that makes me want to serve Jesus all the more. You hear me? That makes me never want to do anything that, that violates his character, that walks contrary to him, to choose sin over righteousness. There's something about having him inside of my life, being a, a person endued with power from on high, being bought with a price, having the Spirit of God as a witness and a testimony inside of me, not because of what Troy Bond did, but because of what Jesus did. It takes the weight of responsibility off of me, and I can cast my cares upon Jesus because he cares for me. So I can trade my failure for his victory. Folks, that's what Paul the Apostle was talking I got a revelation of something so much bigger than what I ever could have acquired through experience or through, through education. I got something big. Proverbs 16.2 says this, and this is a very familiar proverb. Maybe not the address, but what it says, obviously, is it says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. The ways of a man are always pure. They're always right. They're always correct in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. I think about what that said in regards to our study in Galatians. It talks about the ways of a man are always right in his own eyes. In other words, listen, I know what I'm meant to say. I know what I'm meant to do. I'm not altogether bad. I'm not as bad as somebody else. Or his own way of seeing things, or his own understanding or comprehension, or his own experiences, or his own educational background, or whatever it may be. But it says the Lord weighs the spirit. The Lord is the one that regulates or sets the standard in accordance with the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Folks, listen, every single one of us, regardless of where you're at in your walk with Jesus, provided that you've given your heart to him. Listen, we're at that place where God is beginning to bring regulations and standards into our hearts and lives. We were talking one day in one of our, our, our men's discipleship classes on, on repentance, that Radical Repentance Men's Group on Sunday nights. And we're talking about just the, the instances of sin and willfully sinning against God in our life. And I said, you know what's so interesting? You know, three decades plus into this relationship with Jesus, you know, you talk about sin in your life. And I said, you know what's so interesting? The closer you get to him, the more work that you see is needing to be done upon your own life. Because I said, there's things in my life now that I see and I would call sin that other people wouldn't call sin. They would say, brother, listen, that's not bad. That's not sin. But I tell you what, when you begin to press up against the holiness and the righteousness of God, you start seeing that in your flesh, regardless of all those good works of righteousness, all those things that we try to obtain on ourselves, all of that self-discipline and that approach, all of those things pale in comparison to the righteousness of God. And so rather than calling us to be puffed up like 1 Corinthians tells us that be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. But it causes you to humble yourself in the sight of a living God, knowing that in due season, he's the one that's going to exalt you. He's the one that's going to lift you up. 
And so the Lord is the one that raises the standard and puts those things. So there's things that are prevalent maybe in the life of a new believer now. That, that really there's a grace and there's a mercy in those things. Why? Because those things are not some willful sin. Those things are not somebody just thumbing their face in the, in the, in the face of God saying, you know what? Ha ha, I backed you into a corner with some, uh, some uh, sinner's prayer. I said the right magic words or got dipped in the right amount of water. So God, listen, I, I really I tricked you. Now you're going to have to let me in. Folks, listen, God's not a fool. You hear what I'm saying? God is the one that judges the thoughts and the intents of a man's heart. But there's certain things in a new believer's life and even people that are maturing in the faith that they're not doing those things in, in a willful uh, contradiction of God's word. But as God begins to bring that revelation, he begins to bring that regulation into your life and a standard. So as the word of God tells us, so listen, it's the Lord that weighs the spirit of things. He's the one that begins to elevate that standard. He begins to bring a maturation process into your heart and life. Folks, and listen, if, if we're not growing, I tell you what, we're not going. You hear me? If we're not growing in the faith, we're dying on the vine, and we're not going to go and be with him because he's not going to make a liar out of himself and on the day of judgment and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, when we're not doing things good and we're not being faithful to where we are at that particular moment. So the Lord weighs the spirit. The Lord regulates, sets that standard. Then the apostle Peter even chimed in on this same mentality in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. And here's what he said. Again, a very familiar uh, text, maybe not a familiar address to you. And it says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Another translation says no uh, uh, prophecy of Scripture is by any private interpretation. But I love how Peter says, he says, above all, he says, in other words, this is the one thing that you've got to get. Folks, and I'm saying that tonight. I'll, I'll echo the words and the sentiments of the Apostle Peter. Listen, if you're going to get anything, get this. Get what? That there's no prophecy. Scripture is not, listen, that's just the way you see it, or that's just the way I see it, or that's all open to interpretation. No, God doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. There's a truth. There's a revelation that God gives and he entrusts to us, and he wants to reveal it by his spirit. He said, above all, if you don't understand this, then you're not going to understand anything. If you don't understand that, listen, I just can't piecemeal the word of God to, to fit my compromise. I can't piecemeal the word of God just to fit my, 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 my take on religion. I can't piecemeal the word of God like some spiritual smorgasbord just to fit my fears or my inabilities. I've got to take the whole loaf of God's word and I've got to consume it and allow that word to do a work in my life. Above all, he said, know that the source of this truth is from God himself. Folks, listen, I hear people on the streets all the time. They say, listen, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in that word. It was written by man. And they'll say, don't you agree? And I say, no, I don't agree. So they, who was it written by? I said, well, it was written by God. They said, well, oh, God came down. I said, no, 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 no. God spoke to holy men of old, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He was the voice, and they would pin to the paper. So, yeah, it's, it's God-breathed. It is a word. It's revelatory. It's something that, absent the presence of God, the, the, the voice of the one that created all things, it would not exist apart from him. This is a word that can breed confidence and faith in every one of us that changes and transforms everything. Heaven and earth and all these other things will pass away. But, folks, i got news for you. Above all, Peter said, above all, this thing is not going to pass away. So, Paul, here's what he did. He established that very truth in Galatians. And he established that they had departed from it in order to go that way of those seducive Judaizers. We talked about then in Galatians. He says, listen, how can you that have heard the gospel truth go to another gospel, which is not even a gospel at all? But the Judaizers came in, and after they had experienced the gospel of grace, they wanted to come in, and they wanted to reintroduce the law. But he says, listen, you've departed from these things, and it's not just simply another way of looking things, but they had chosen to abandon a revelation for the cause of rebellion. Folks, listen, if you abandon revelation 
You're not abandoning revelation for good intention. You hear me? You're not even abandoning revelation for, for well-thought-out religion. Anything apart from a revelation of God, once he gives those things to you, once you've tasted of the sweetness of that, that divine heavenly gift, anything that departs from that is rebellion. Folks, I heard for years coming up in, in church, they're talking about the, the, uh, the, the, the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. And so I remember as a young preacher, I was going to uh, look into that and preach on it, and I never could find it in the Word of God. That the permissive will of God just became the rebellion of man dressed up with a nice, uh, some nice nomenclature that made it a lot easier to stomach. He tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he said, don't be conformed to the image of this world. The image of this world is permissiveness. It's, you know, as long as it don't hurt anybody else, you can do it. But he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can know what is the good and the acceptable and perfect will of God. Folks, listen, God has one will, and it's always good, it's always perfect, and that's the only way it's ever going to be acceptable. And so anything that deviates from that revelation of who he is puts us into a state of rebellion. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. It becomes a mind control, something that takes us off the track of thinking and knowing and having the mind of God and having the heart of Jesus to something that deviates from that point. So we've got to find ourselves back, finding and entrusting into a place of revelation. So today what we're going to do is we're going to begin and hopefully not quite as tedious as Paul the Apostle does here in these six chapters of Galatians. But we're going to look at it and see how he takes really, uh, uh, we talked about last week, he revealed there was a revelation. And this, in the next few weeks, we're talking about how he repudiates the attack upon that gospel by the Judaizers. And they were levied against him, and ultimately not just against him, but by the gospel himself. And so here's those two verses that I was sharing with you that really hit me so big. And it's, first, it's Galatians 1, 13 and 14. And he says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. And he said, I did my very best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal and the traditions of my ancestors. I, I want to read that again because I want you to get it. He said, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted the church. I did my best to destroy it. Now, folks, listen, I don't know. Some of you guys passed. I don't know where you came from. Certainly, I know some of the little details and, and whatnot. But I'm, I'm convinced that there's probably some people in here, probably not most of the people in here, but probably some people that when you were in the, in the world, you did your best to be in the world. That you wanted to stay up later than anybody else. You wanted to party harder than anybody else. You wanted to do all those things. Well, you did your best when you were in the world. Now, folks, isn't it amazing that many times we give our best to the world, but we don't want to give our best to Jesus? What we want to do is we just want to offer the measly scraps off of our table in the hopes that, that some distant, feeble God that is so satisfied with those measly scraps that he's so, he's so uh, 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 in gratitude that we would offer just something to him that he would be so good to call us his own. Folks, listen, are, 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 really, are we so arrogant to think that a holy and living God wants less than the best from us when he gave the, the best for us? You hear me? And so if there's a large work that says you reap what you sow, now he gave the best. Don't you think he's expecting the very best in return? And so he gives us the capacity to do that through the person of the Holy Spirit, not through our own self-will, not through anything that we can conjure up in the natural. But he's saying, listen, I expect the best in you, so I'm going to deposit the best inside of you. So you're going to have the capability. You're going to have the strength. You're going to have the victory that overcomes the world. And it's not because Chris uh, uh, Cates was able to somehow get the right information. 
It said Chris Cates had an open door to the intimacy with the person of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that empowered him and enabled him to do greater things than he could ever do in the flesh. Folks, that's the consolation that we have. And so the apostle is now about to present his case. That's what he's going to do. He's going to present his case before the church at Galatia in really this, this systematic approach with really not leaving any wiggle room for anyone that would honestly take those facts of that repudiation that would try to deny the validity of his argument. Maybe that's why I like it so much because he's presenting his case before this Galatian church. And he's he's doing it, I believe, in a very systematic, in a very in, in a in a very sense of the word, a very legal approach. He's covering all of his bases. So look where he begins with this, which I believe in all of these things, it begins at this place. And it was the place where the undermining Jews began with himself. Folks, listen, what did they have to do? If you remember in the first portion of this book that the, that Paul had to establish really that he had a God-ordained place within the ranks of that apostolic office. He had to say, listen, yeah, I wasn't one of the twelve. Yes, I wasn't there personally witnessing the works that Jesus did. But Jesus Christ is the one that found me in my rebellion on that road to Damascus. He's the one that revealed himself to me. And so in an effort to attack the message, they had to first try to discredit the messenger. You hear me? Listen, I know the message is right. But listen, I don't like the messenger, so I'm not going to hear it. Folks, listen, I don't care who that message comes from. If that message is right, Jesus even dealt with those things with his disciples. They came and said, listen, can you believe these other people are doing these things in your name? He's like, listen, I don't, I don't care as long as they're doing it. They don't have to be one of you guys. They're preaching the same word. They're preaching the same truth. So Paul refused to back away from that challenge in regard to his authority and to this revelation. And so he takes the fight right to them. And look what he says right there in our text at verse 13. He says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion? I want to put you on blast. Listen, you know exactly what I did. You know exactly what I was like. And so the statement here is one that conveys the idea that Paul the Apostle was well known before his conversion. While he was still Saul of Tarsus, he said, listen, you know exactly who I was. You know exactly what I did. You knew exactly what I stood for. You knew me with all my bumps and my blemishes. You know the decisions that I was making. You knew everything about me before I came. And so he never one time tried to distance himself from the fact that that pre-transformational person that he was was evil and wicked. But instead, what he did, he saw it as an enormous opportunity to share the testimony of the saving power of the gospel that he was now preaching. Folks, we preach the gospel, and, and Vinny will get up there, and he, you know, he used to, 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 to run wild and run amok right there on Bourbon Street, the same uh, street that he's preaching on. And he stood up a number of times, and he shared about the wickedness that he's done. Not to boast on that. Not to boast on his sexual immorality. Not to boast on the fact that he once had a needle in his arm. Not to boast on those things whatsoever. But to set the standard and say, listen, I want you to know who I used to be. I want you to know that, listen, I was full throttle. I was full force. I did my very best to be the most perverted, the wickedest person out here, even before I knew it was wicked and perverted. I just thought that that was the standard that the world had. So many times he stood up and he said, listen, I want you to know exactly who I am. Not to glorify sin, but to set a demonstration of transformation. Now, listen, folks, I, I shared you guys sometimes about I got invited to go preach at an evangelism conference in, in, in South Miami one time. And, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the keynote speaker, uh, speaker, and all day long, these people from, from uh, South Florida are getting up there, and all of them kind of got their hat cooked on sideways, and their pants are still sagging, and, you know, they got the shirt hanging out and all this stuff. And, man, every single one of them that got up there talking about, I want to share with you, I used to be a killer. 
I was the top drug addict and drug dealer in Miami. And I'm sitting there thinking, why on earth did they invite me to speak? I mean, everybody up there was a, was a straight up killer. I'm like, why aren't these people in the penitentiary? Like eight people, they've all killed people. I'm like, man, so those crimes are unsolved? Because listen, I'll test you, is there a reward for you guys? You can have a jail ministry and I'll have some money in my pocket for a change. But I remember standing up there that day and say, guys, listen, I think I'm in the wrong place because I was never a killer. I was never a drug addict. Never did drugs once in my life. I was never that tough. I was never that cool. I was never all those things that I had to try to defend my reputation. But I still needed Jesus just like everybody else. That I was wicked at heart. I, I, my self-righteousness and my goodness, goodness didn't trump the, the fact that you guys were killers and you guys were drug addicts and you guys were all these felons and all these stuff. Listen, I was just as wicked and just as need of a Savior. Just my sin didn't manifest itself on the outside like you killers did. You hear me? And so, listen, regardless of where you came from or where, quote-unquote, you didn't come from, Paul the Apostle did not shy away. He said, listen, you knew who I was. It wasn't a secret. I'm not trying to just change my name and change my identity so nobody will ever re relate me to that thing. So what it does, it, 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 he, he goes on and, he, and he, he begins to share that testimony of who he was. And as I was reading this, I was thinking about Joseph. And you remember when Joseph uh, was uh, in Egypt, in, it was at Genesis 50. And his brothers had thrown him into slavery, threw him in the pit, and later on sold him to the Midianites. He ended up in Potiphar's house and in prison. All those things happened to him. And finally, some 14 years later, through that chain of events with, with, with them going hungry and having to come to Egypt, his brothers are before him, and he reveals who he is to them. And remember his brothers, they thought, uh-oh, we're in big trouble now. He says, listen, I know who you were, and you know who I was. But I love what he said. The things that you meant for evil, God meant for good. Folks, listen, every single one of us in this place have those instances in our life. The things that were meant for evil, the things that should have and could have turned out enormously corrupt for us and destructive. But out of that corruption, out of those ashes, God brought something good. He took beauty and, and made it from those ashes. And so Paul is saying the same thing. You intended to harm me. You intended to draw attention to who I used to be, but God intended it for good. And he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. That's what he was saying. As the Judaizers attacked the, attacked the messenger, the messenger said, listen, you're right. Man, I was rotten. I was horrible. But I'm not that same guy anymore. I am somebody different. And so the same could be said in regards to all of those things that they said. And so they wanted to introduce this law, this fulfilled law, back into the lives of people who had already been saved by grace through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And so Paul's saying, listen, you guys are trying to, uh, trying to, 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 to renounce what I'm doing, but I'm here to repudiate what you're saying because you've brought a new bondage that's just like the old bondage into the saving grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this really it effectively backfired on the Judaizers because what they did is they tried to discredit a person that possessed more credentials than they did about the, the Jewish law. And so what it's kind of like is, is trying to use something against you that you came up with. It'd be like somebody saying, listen, I was in Africa and I discovered a brand new species of bird that's never been discovered before. And I wrote all of these papers about these, this bird that I discovered. Then I realized that it really wasn't a new bird. It was just a chicken that somebody dyed a different color and clipped its... And I had to come back later and say, guys, listen, i got to admit that, that that bird I found was just a clipped chicken that somebody uh, died pink. It's really not a new species of bird whatsoever. 
And so I'm saying that somebody comes up and says, no, 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 no. That is a new species of bird. Listen, look at these pictures. Look at this, this testimony. Look at the description of it. And you're saying, dude, I'm the one that took the pictures. I'm the one that wrote that stuff. Now you're trying to use what I know against me. I'm the one that said it to begin with. Now you're trying to turn the tables on me. Folks, that's exactly the mistake that the Judaizers made. They, talk, they, they tried to use information that he was more versed in against him. They tried to use an, an adherence to the law that he would more adhere to against him. You know, I, I think about years ago, this is probably 20 plus years ago, I was preaching a, a, a message out of the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 3, and, and the verse was right there at the church at Sardis. I'll, I'll read it to you, and you'll kind of get where I'm coming from on this tonight. And here's what it said. It says, Under the angel of the church at Sardis, write these things, saith he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you live, and but you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen those things that remain that are ready to die. And so the point of my message that I preached 20-something years ago in my church in Texas was, listen, we need to strengthen those things that are going to remain. And, and I was really focusing on investing in people's lives, not investing in, in programs of the church or building buildings or acquiring these names for ourselves. But let's strive and let's press towards strengthening those people that remain because a million years from now, it's going to be about souls. It's going to be about lives. But then a couple of years later, it was funny, I was in an elders meeting. Anybody ever been in elders meetings? My brother, have you ever been in one of those meetings? <laughs> Sam, have you ever been in some of those meetings in times past? Some of you guys have been in the ministry a few years. You know what I'm talking about. And some of all, you know, you think that, man, this ought to be the, the meeting of the, the mind of God. But many times it's just the opposite. It's like every man for himself and you're just glad to get out alive type meetings. This was that second type of meeting. This wasn't the glory of God fell and we fell on our faces. But there was a, 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 an elders meeting. One of the men who constantly stood in opposition to anything that I wanted to do. If I said, listen, let's, let's pray that God's going to send his mercy down. Well, no, what we really need to do is not pray that God will send his mercy down. We need to pray that God will. I'm like, dude, isn't that what I just said? It was just like anything that he could do to oppose what I said. And so he stood up in that meeting that day and he said, listen, this church is dead. He said, we may be doing some things that have a reputation in this community. He said, but the Lord has already spoken a couple of years ago and said that this church is really dead. Now, mind you, the person that said this had checked out of any ministry involvement in the church. He always knew to show up for the meeting. He always knew to show up for those things where, where quote-unquote, he might think that he can make a decision. But in everything that required any work or any commitment, man, he was all, always absent from those meetings. And so he said, listen, this church is dead. So he wasn't there when we fed hundreds of people at our Jesus Cafe every week. He wasn't there for that. He wasn't there when we reached out to 48 blocks around the church every single week and seeing lives change. He wasn't there when we operated a men's discipleship center or, or, or a women's discipleship house. He wasn't there for that. He wasn't there when we were, at the time, driving and bringing teams into New Orleans from Mardi Gras and taking teams to Skid Row in Los Angeles, flying into New York City and doing it. He wasn't there for any of that stuff. But he said that we're dead. But according to him, Listen, all of those things that we did was just to gain reputation, but we were really dead. And so I said to him, so you think that the Lord said that we were dead and really all we're doing is functioning, building up a reputation? And he said, yes, I do. He said, that's what the Lord said when it came out. And so I leaned over the desk and I said, do you remember who gave that word to begin with in the church? And he kind of looked at me like a cow looking at a new gate, like uh, he had no clue. And I said, dude, it was me. I was the one who gave that word. And so why don't you ask me what I meant by that word? 
You're sitting here telling me what my own word meant. And I told him, listen, that's not the word that he meant, that your argument is destroyed. I was talking about strengthening people's lives. And don't you know that's what we've been doing for the last two years? We've been pouring into people's lives. We feed people to minister to them. We go door to door to preach the gospel. We're seeing drug addicts and, and prostitutes coming to Jesus. We're strengthening the things that remain. So you're trying to give me the interpretation of my own word? Dude, where have you been for two years? So, folks, that's exactly what's happening here in Galatians. Paul the Apostle is showing up on the scene, and he just brings himself back into the equation. He says, listen, you know me. He says, listen, these jokers are coming, and they're trying to interpret the law. And really, when it comes right down to it, I know so much more about it than they do. I was joking back across the street about, you know, somebody told me one time, they said, I hate you. I said, why do you hate me? They said, well, you think you're always right. And I said, well, I really don't. You just always ask me questions that I know. Ask me something that I don't know and you'll catch me. Ask me some weird science question or something. I'll send you to my son-in-law. You know, just quit asking me stuff that I know the answer to. Then you can say, ah, I've caught you on something. Catch me on something. Ask me something I don't know anything about. But what happened with those Judaizers, they tried to bring an accusation. They tried to bring a, 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 a false revelation of the law before the very God that got delivered from that thing that they're talking about to begin with. And so... Paul finds himself dealing with that situation. He answers in like many. He says, you listen. He said, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion? You know who I am now, but you also know what I used to look like. So they came preaching a gospel of law. They came attempting to demonstrate some superior knowledge or understanding. They came trying to discredit him. And he said, did they forget who I was before coming to the knowledge of the truth? And he said, listen, guys, it's common knowledge to both my background and my behavior. It's not a secret who I was. So they never sought to question my past credentials as a Jew. They were unquestionable. So he said, let me just start with you right at this point. And so here's my question to you folks tonight. Why do you think it was necessary for Paul to start right there? To start with, listen, you know who I used to be. When I was just as dedicated and more so dedicated to the Jewish religion than those Judaizers that have come in. You know me. Why do you think that it was important for him to start right there in his refutation of this false gospel that had come in? Well, I'm glad you asked the question because it's found right here in Hebrews chapter 9. When questions like this, when people always question the authorship of, 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 of Hebrews, man, I just, you're, you're going to see some of the reasons that I, I, I love Hebrews and I kind of lend it to a, a Pauline uh, uh, authorship because just the same arguments, the same things that he's dealing with in his epistles, those things are brought out also in the Hebrew uh, uh, letter as well. But here's what he said in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16 and 17. He said, where there is a testament, there also must be the necessity of the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead. A testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. And so Paul was saying, listen, what makes my testimony powerful is the fact that I'm no longer the person that I was under the law. The reason I got credibility is because the person that you see, the person that you're listening to, the person that you're dealing with on a regular basis is not that same person any longer with just a new message, with just the flavor of the week. He said, if I was, uh, if, if, if I was the same desperate, defeated, uh, despicable person that I once was, then you would have every reason under the sun to question the validity of my message. 
Listen, if I'm coming to you and I'm telling you about victory, but I don't have victory, question my message. If I'm coming to you telling you about joy and you never see me walking in joy, you need to question my message. You hear me? If I'm talking about walking in the peace of God and every time you look at me, I'm always in the mullygraph, you need to question my message. You hear what I'm saying? And so if I'm talking to you about anything that, that, that would be provided for us through the finished work of the cross of Calvary, that I'm not walking in those things, what you need to do is call me a hypocrite. But if you see the demonstration of those qualities that were provided for me through faith in what Jesus did, what does it do? It substantiates and it validates the message that I'm preaching. Folks, listen, I can preach to you about victory. You know why? Because I know what victory looks like. I walk in victory. Period. I can, you know, it's so funny around the, the training center in different places. People say, how you doing? And I always make it, oh, brother, you know, I'm just barely, and most everybody in here, brother, I'm just barely getting by. And they laugh. Well, why do they laugh? Because they know how, how, how ridiculous it is. I say that to be ridiculous. Why? Because, folks, listen, 30 years ago, I was barely getting by. I'm not barely getting by now. I, I can fall to sleep at night in about 30 or 40 seconds. I'm out. I'm not struggling with my mind thinking, God, you know what? It's a horrible day. It's a horrible life. Listen, my name's been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Listen, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. And regardless of what this world offers or doesn't offer, it's going to be like a vapor, and I'm going to be with him. You hear me? I could be sick. I can be well. I can be a base. I can be a bound. But you know what I'm going to be? I'm going to be content in my faith in what Jesus Christ did for me upon the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Period. And the validity of it is, listen, you don't see me depressed. You don't see me walking around just struggling with, 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 with people and, and, and struggling with those things and thinking, I hope, I'm just so hopeless. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Folks, that's who I was before I got saved. So why would I want to live unsaved now? And I got a revelation of who Jesus Christ was. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who no longer walk after the flesh, even a religious flesh, but after the spirit. Why? Because the law was so weak in the flesh. But Jesus Christ came and what? Man, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. And if I never get anything else, if my, if, if my revelation never gets any deeper than that, man, I tell you what, I'm still going to be making that joke. There ain't no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because I know it ain't about TB anymore. It's about JC. You hear what I'm talking about? And so I'm going to walk in that victory. And so consider the same like statement that he made in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. You know this well. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, most things, some of the things, all things. Are you an all things believer? See, that would gain power to his testimony because the old Paul was dead. All old things are passed away and all things have become New. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to them, and has committed to us that word of reconciliation. Verse 20. Now then, somebody say now then. We are ambassadors for Christ, and though God, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be a sin offering for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Folks, you may not see it at first glance, but and I think sometimes we some things get lost in familiarity. But he's directly addressing the futility of the law and the necessity of the cross in regards to transformational salvation. That's what he's dealing with here. 
It's futile under the law. You're not going to be changed. You might do things different, but you're never going to be different. But if you're in Christ, he's not imputing to you the trespasses. You're not the one that's under the law of sin and death. But because you're in Christ, he's committed the ministry and the word of reconciliation. And so if you're in Christ, faith in the finished work of the cross, you're a brand new person, not just a cleaned up version of your own self. Old things are passed away, not just put off another year like the Day of Atonement. Put those things off. This was done, reconciliation through the sacrifice, not the law. We have now been entrusted with the message or the gospel that is now being attacked. You've been entrusted with. He was the sacrifice for sin, not a lamb. And we are righteous through him. We simply don't just do enough righteous things under the law in order to be righteous. We're righteous because he's righteous. Are you righteous tonight? You kind of shudder. <laughs> I'm righteous tonight. I'm not self-righteous because self-righteousness says I can't do it. Self-righteousness says I'm always going to fail. Self-righteousness says I'm always going to That's what self-righteousness looks like. That's what filthy rags sounds like. Self-righteousness doesn't sound like victory. Victory in him says, listen, yes, through one sacrifice, he has perfected forever those that are sanctified, those that have been set apart for his service. Are you perfect? Yeah, because he said I'm perfect. Not because I do all of these, the, all the right things, but because I serve the right God through faith in what Jesus Christ did upon the cross of Calvary. Now, I can choose not to do the right thing, but you know what I have now? Man, I have the power to do right things. I have the power through righteousness and faith in Jesus to do things that I could not do before. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. He also addresses this in Romans chapter 7. If you've ever listened to our Roman studies, I'll kind of get into this in that Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And he says, now, dear, uh, dear brothers and sisters, he says, you are familiar with the law. He said, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? Doesn't that sound like Hebrews chapter 9? He says, for example, when a woman marries, uh, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he's alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she could be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law and does not commit adultery when she marries. Well, why are you talking about marriage and, and divorce or, or remarriage? Well, I'm not. Come on. Verse 4. So my dear brothers and sisters, at this point, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. And as a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for Christ. See, that's the righteousness of God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. But the law aroused these evil desires that produced. Do you hear what he says? And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Did you hear that? What did the law do? The law was given so that sin could abound. All the law did was expose the wicked condition of a man's heart. It never could make us righteous. But now, somebody say, but now. Man, I love the but nows. Haji, don't you love the but nows, my brother? But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God. Folks, listen, now I can serve God. Why? Because I'm free from that law. I'm no longer bound by its captive power. Not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. I want to jump down to verse 14 of that same 7th chapter. He says, so the trouble with the law is this. For it is spiritual and it's good. He said, the trouble is with me, for I'm all too human. I'm a slave to sin. Now, the seventh chapter, folks, listen. 
most of you are familiar with the book of Romans. Maybe you're not familiar with the collective. Everybody knows uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You'd, you'd think to hear most people that Romans only has about two verses. Or maybe three. If I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in my heart God raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I just got to knowledge that all have sinned, but they forget that there's 16 chapters in Romans. And I can't pray that prayer of Romans 10 until I understand Romans 1 through 9, 10, and 10. You hear what I'm saying? And so here's what he said. He said, I, and, and so this was a parenthetical statement. He gave that sixth chapter, which is tough. You hear me? That sixth chapter of Romans really puts it, am I going to continue to sin so that grace might abound? God forbid. You've got to be kidding me. He goes on to talk about that we can't, that, that, that we're either a slave to, to sin unto death or we're a slave to righteousness unto life. And he begins to say that we're no longer in bondage to that. And you can tell his audience is probably cringing, thinking, man, look at this standard that I'm being held to. And Paul backs off and he says, listen, you remember who I was under the law. And he writes this parenthetical statement of the seventh chapter. And he said, listen, I don't really understand myself or what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that it does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my old sinful nature. But you remember 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that he's no longer bound by that. He said, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sinful living in me that does it. I've been discovered this principle in my life. But when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. Why? Because he hasn't yet got to chapter 12 and having the renewed mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Okay? Who will free me from this life that is so dominated by sin and death? Thank God that the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Remember. Remember, folks. He was talking about that person that he used to be when he followed after the Jewish religion. And he says, listen, I was incapable of any victory under the law. But praise God for the eighth chapter, amen, that I quoted from just a second ago. He said, you knew me? He said, you probably thought that I had it all together. I was a poster child for the law. And if I couldn't do it, what makes you think that you could do it under the law? Folks, that's what Paul was saying. Listen, I couldn't do it under the law. When I was just a religious person fulfilling all of those things, listen, I couldn't do it. The things that I wanted to do, school the law, I couldn't do. The things that I said I would never do, I, did, I was a miserable, wretched person. Who could save me from the body of this death? Oh. It was Jesus Christ, the gospel that these Judaizers are now trying to rob from you, trying to steal that crown. So, folks, listen, if anyone, if anyone could have been convincing and swaying somebody away from the freedom of the cross back to the bondage of the law, don't you think it would be somebody like the Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus before he came to Christ? It would have been somebody like him. You know that what I was like when I followed the Jewish traditions, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my very best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. Folks, does it get any clearer than that? Oh, sure it does. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Somebody say rejoice in the Lord. He said, I never get tired of telling you the things 
and I do it to safeguard your faith. Folks, I, I know what he means. I don't, I don't ever get tired of, of, of rooting on Jesus. You hear me? Because you know what I know it does? It safeguards your faith. He tells us in, 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 in verse 2, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those wolves. Those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Judaizers. For we who worship by the Spirit are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have the more. In other words, he's saying, listen, these Judaizers, these people that are claiming confidence in the law. Listen, those guys don't hold a candle to who I was in the law. I got it going on. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and it's for righteousness. I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counted it as garbage, as rubbish, as dunk, so that I might gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I've become righteous. You hear that? I don't count on something being righteous through what I do, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with his people depends upon faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And he continues in verse 13. He says, brethren, listen, I'm telling you something. I don't count myself to have apprehended yet, but this one thing I do. I forget those things that are behind, and I reach forth to those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. Any perfect people in here today? Because if you're not, you're not going to understand what I'm about to say. We know he's perfected forever those that are sanctified. I'm sanctified by the finished work of the cross. Father, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. Let as many as be perfect be thus minded. If anything be otherwise minded, God will reveal it even to you. He'll give you a revelation unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Let us walk by the same standard, that same revelation. Brethren, be followers together with me and mark them which also walk uh, as you have walked as an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Folks, listen, anything, anyone, any way, any teaching, any doctrine that in any way attempts to diminish or distract from the gospel message is an enemy of the cross. You hear me? Anything, anything that tries to add to the message of the cross is an enemy of the cross. Anything that says, listen, you're saved by grace through faith, Plus, listen, you've got to join the right church. They're an enemy of the cross. If they say, listen, there's, if there's not enough water in the tank, they're an enemy of the cross. You hear what I'm saying? My faith is in what Jesus did, not in my ability to jump through all the hoops. I get the ability to walk in righteousness, not because I know all the things written down on tablets, but because he's inscribed me upon his heart. You hear me? And so I am in Christ, so I have an ability apart from the, the, the fears and the frailties of my own self. Anything that opposes that gospel, just like the Judaizers, 
is an enemy of the cross. So, folks, listen. What did it create? What did their invitation back to the law create? Well, it didn't create revival, did it? No, it created a revolt against God. Folks, listen. If I'm the friend of the world, see, we always think the friend of the world is those that are out on Bourbon Street that we minister to on the weekends. Folks, anything that brings us away from the cross sucks us back into the world, even a religious world. Do you hear me? So it's not a revival. It becomes a revolt against the righteousness of God. It's a revolt against redemption. Here's the issue, once again, confronted in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 6. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. But the doctrine of baptism laying on the hands, a resurrection from the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this is what we'll do if God permits. That he said it's impossible for those that were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit, that have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing that they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Folks, I've heard people read that that did not know the context, did not even know the purpose of the Hebrew letter. And they think, listen, five backs, there's just I can't get back. Folks, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about these folks that went off into Judaism once again back into the law because they were being persecuted. That's what was happening. Now, you got a people that the, that the writer of Hebrews was addressing. Now, listen, we've got a people that they're under Roman rule, so they're getting persecuted there. Now they've come out of Judaism, so they're getting persecuted. Now they're stuck in the middle. And so many of these people thought to themselves, listen, I'm still going to kind of believe, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of meander back into the into the uh, uh, the synagogue and act like a Jew again. Well, he tells them, listen, you've already tasted that. You think you can go once again? There's no sacrifice for you. You can't go and say, listen, I'm going to put my faith in the sacrifice of, again. There's no renewing you through repentance, uh, uh, through the sacrifice. That's what he was saying. You can't go back under the law and expect the law to do something for you. What you've done is you've trampled the blood of Jesus under your feet. You've made it a common thing. Folks, the only repentance is not going back to the law. It's coming back to Jesus. If I'm faithful to confess my sins, even my sins of stupidly trying to go back and to try to jump through the right hoops, he is faithful and he is just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Not because I follow the path of the Judaizers, but because I follow the path that Jesus Pose for me at the cross of Calvary. Paul the Apostle, that's what he was saying. Listen, you knew me when I followed the Jewish religions. You knew how devout I was. I posed God. So if there's anybody that should be defending that position, it should be me. But I'm not defending that position because I'm brand new now. Amen. At a time tonight.